0: I don't have doubts about the general good faith efforts of language teachers genuinely interested in diversity and, and, and a diversity of thought and culture. But look at our textbooks. We have so many problems. We have reductionist views of culture. We have uh, promotion of consumerism. We can't even do that right in our own profession Then how much more problems are we going to see in tech companies because I don't think that they're trying to make things terrible, but it's a reflection of our society. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic
1: related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Corey Duclos examines how online data collection can impact language learners as we return to the discussion of artificial intelligence and language pedagogy.
2: Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University.
1: And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. Our conversations around language learning and AI continue today with Dr. Corey Duclos.
2: Corey is the director of the Keck Center for Language Study at Colgate University and a senior lecturer in linguistics. One of his current research projects is concerned with ethics of data gathering online.
1: Welcome to Speaking of Language, Corey. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for being here. And we'd like to start out, uh, as we always do, by asking you about your background and path with languages. What does that look like for you?
0: Well, I mean, I studied Spanish in high school, so of course I was fluent in that language immediately. <laughs> um, but
1: I actually had the
0: chance to to live in Chile a couple years after high school and got back and was going to college and... I'd heard that if I took a test, I could get the credit from mm. the lower division language classes.
2: Yeah,
0: And They told me that class t- cost the, that test would cost $50. But if I took a class and passed that class, I'd get all those back credits plus the credit for that class. And I was like, well, that's better. And I was on financial <laughs> aid, so it was cheaper to take the class than pay the $50. Huh. And then they said, you know, well, if you take three more classes, you could be a minor. And they're like, you know, you're only a few more classes away from a major at this <laughs> point. And So then I ended up with a PhD, of course. So that's, uh, we know I'm, always a, I'm always an advocate for that kind of uh, <laughs> structuring of things for, for people incentivizing. Actually, uh, while I was um, studying Spanish, I knew I, I was interested in literature, uh, and I was taking English literature classes as well and taking Spanish literature classes at the same time. And there was just something about the way that the language literature classes were – were taught or maybe the way that we participated in them, there was just like, like a level of humility that existed because mm-hmm. I think when you're in a second language, you're always doubting a little bit. Mm-hmm. D- did I understand this correctly? And you kind of second guess yourself. Yeah. And it seemed like in the English class people just said whatever came to their mind without <laughs> editing any thoughts. And so I thought I liked, uh, I liked how those classes were a little bit better. So that's why I continued with, with Spanish over tr- trying to um, study uh, en- uh, English literature. The At the same time, when I was in graduate school, I was also working at the Language Center, um, hmm. and I had this kind of like latent interest in technology, and so that kind of helped foster this idea of using technology and languages together. After I got out of grad school, I taught for a year at a small college in Alabama, and then I saw this job uh, come up at Colgate that was available, and I applied, and and got the job of running the language center, so it was very similar. They had gone; they were going through a renovation, similar to what they'd done when I was in graduate school at Vanderbilt, and um, seeing how that language center had mm-hmm. changed. And so, it seemed like a good fit, and it's it's been good. So I've been here since they remodeled, and um, it's been fun to to see how the language center has grown and developed over the last few years.
2: Nice. It's awesome. So you were recently featured in the IELTS interview project, which our listeners can watch on IELTS FLT MAG, and you and a couple of other panelists talked about artificial intelligence. Now, you spoke about some of the possibilities of AI specifically for less commonly taught languages. How can AI support language learning in Lictls?
0: Yeah, I think that um, for me, what I found interesting was the way that it helps generate some content and especially trying to find good input for students to use in a different language. The way that our uh, LCTL program is run, we have students meet with conversation partners who are native speakers. Mm-hmm. We I very intentionally call them conversation partners and not tutors, mm-hmm. not teachers, because they definitely don't know how to teach the language. Sure. And that's my biggest challenge is, is getting them to be conversation partners and not be language tutors and try to explain grammar that yeah. they don't know how to explain and they're not doing a good job and it's not worth anybody's time anyway and so I meet with them every week and we come up with you know some things to do together and it can be difficult because I know the language pedagogy methods they mm-hmm. know the language to some degree um, but putting those things together can be a little bit more work and you know I can tell them here's how here's an activity that would be good but then they have to come up with that content, and that can be hard sure. for them. As I think any language teacher knows, sometimes knowing what to do is is a lot easier than knowing how, what words to put in there. Mm-hmm. And so I was messing around with chat at GBT and using the AI and just asking it to create kind of activities, mm-hmm. you know, based on things. I think the first thing I tried was um, it was uh, a student who was just beginning a new language and just said, can you come up with some model dialogues of people meeting somebody, you know, a first introduction of people, mm-hmm. but some of the activities they should be, they should be, give some responses that are uh, nonsensical, right? And it, <laughs> it did, it did a pretty good yeah. job with that. And so um, it was good. There are some limitations I found with it. Um, one is it definitely needs to be reviewed. Mm. There's a couple of reasons that those activities need to be reviewed. One is, especially with some of the less commonly taught languages, there can be times where the grammar's not exactly right. Mm. Um, I found, at least with Spanish and, and, and Portuguese, the two languages that I use, that the grammar is actually excellent. Hmm. Um, but some of my conversation partners have seen, like, there's a, there's a few ears here, and I, speak, I think, especially when it's those less taught languages. So this is true for uh, a student uh, conversation partner of Farsi.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they found some problems there. Interesting. Um, but more importantly, for the content um, to be both linguistically comprehensible and appropriate to the level of the student, uh, that was also important, right? That they actually yeah. would be able to understand it. And so changing a few words here or there, but it was it's n- much easier to work with kind of a structure of things mm-hmm. than nothing else. For the more advanced uh, conversation partners, it's also just a good way to generate some content, right? You can ask it to just like write some questions. Um, you can give it some parameters, and it seems to work pretty well. Um, I Also testing it out a little bit, I was trying to see if, you know, could a student really just use this as like a language partner? -hmm. I could a student just just type back and forth and learn from it. Yeah, and to some extent, it could work. I don't think it's fully ready at this point. At least not the chat through ChatGPT. I know there's some other um, some other companies trying to make this more of specifically for languages. The biggest problem I found was that it's it's too sympathetic. Like it understands everything. I tried to give it some (laughs) some Spanish that was like half Spanish, half English. Yeah, mix of things and like some like false cognates. And it just went with it. It didn't say, like, I don't understand or didn't have any, like, breakdowns of communication. It kind of figured out what I was trying to say maybe a little too easily. Hmm. Uh, so that was kind of a, a problem. But in terms of churning out, like, just content and some input students uh-huh. that can use is really good. And then the one other thing I found to be a useful uh, in general with AI is actually – using it as a metaphor for students when I'm trying to explain to them how we learn languages, hmm. because as more students are becoming aware of like how AI works and how machine learning works, which is really modeled on how our brains work. Sure. I think it's a lot easier for them to understand the difference between, you know, if we think of like grammar instruction as hard coding into your brain, the language use, as opposed to the the smart learning of AI, which is what we would think of with our communicative language t- method um, and, the you know, this um, internalized grammar, that that's the system that we're working with. And so I think that's helped at least some students. Some students don't know what AI is, and they don't know what communicative language teaching is, and <laughs> so they don't get any of it. But at least I found with some students, now I can, like, uh, there's something they can hold on to, of like, yeah. oh, I can see how this is a different way of learning than just hard coding everything in. Yeah. So those are some of the things that I've been doing with it, and it's been kind of, kind of fun to play with
2: yeah absolutely and it'll be so interesting to see where this all is headed and how this all evolves mm-hmm. and changes and really the impact this will have on, on education and language education in particular
0: yeah and all the drawbacks that i say here i mean like if you'd asked me six months ago i said the, the stuff i'm doing couldn't be done yeah mm-hmm. With you know google translate we would say that's not even close to being able to do that stuff so right are drawbacks but that's for now i mean by the time that somebody's listening to this it could change who knows
2: mm-hmm. true yeah
1: Uh, As a language center director, you are also interested in the role language centers play in protecting the privacy of our community and how issues of privacy affect students. Tell us more about Mm -hmm.
0: this. Yeah, I think about a lot about what the role the language center can play and kind of um, leading things. And one of the things I've thought a lot about is... Kind of this nest, the need that we have. We think about this a lot in classrooms of of building a community. I think uh, uh, Stacey Johnson uh, has talked about this a lot. um, This idea that we need to like come together to learn together, Mm -hmm. and that we need to be able to feel this kind of safety, especially in the language classroom. We think about the effective filter um, and, and being able to feel that we we can, students can be vulnerable. They can try to do new things. They can try to say things and mess up. All these things are important in a classroom. I've been thinking of like, could we extend this thought to like the more institutional level, right? Is there like an Mm. an institutional effective filter that prevents (laughs) students from engaging in language learning, engaging in uh, conversation with others or trying to put themselves out there? And so as I've thought about this, one of the things I've been thinking about is How is it that we're making sure our students are safe and feel safe and feel protected, that we're doing our due diligence to make sure that students, if they're going to engage in language study, they know that we have their back in a lot of different ways. And one of those ways that I'm worried about is the way that we ask students sometimes to give up their privacy to use different tools that we're Mm -hmm. using. We all do this. We all check a box that says, like, I agree to whatever terms you want. Just give me that new song by Taylor Swift. I just need it today. I don't care what the (laughs) terms are. Let's just do it. But I think there's ethically a very different thing involved if now I'm asking my students, you sign up for this thing, Mm. put in your name, put in your password, give it your data, and now you have to to do it, right? I'm in a different position of power that they have to respond to. Actually, this kind of occurred to me in a in a strange way. I had I was giving a a presentation about something on a Zoom like webinar or it like it was a Zoom conference or something. And I'd asked, we it was during the pandemic, and so I was my student staff at the Language Center, we were having these weekly Zoom check-ins with everybody. And after one, I said, Hey, I've got to demonstrate this tool at this thing that I have, this mm-hmm. presentation I have coming up. Would you all mind just like Staying on with the Zoom, and we'll just record the usage of this tool and how it would be used in a Zoom classroom. And you know, they said, "Yeah, that's fine, no problem." And um, I explained to them how we we're using it. But I noticed one student turned off their camera and changed their name. Huh. And asked her, like, "What? What? Why did you do that?" And, and they said, "Well, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with my name and my mm-hmm. my image mm-hmm. being out." you know, in this area. And I had thought that I'd been clear about, like, this is not a requirement. This is just something I'm doing extra. So if you have, if you don't have, to, you know, if you have time, you can go. But I hadn't really considered that still me asking for a favor sure. as a boss mm-hmm. is not really asking for a favor yeah, yeah. necessarily. Right. So uh, I think that we need to think of the same thing when we're thinking about our students and what we're asking them to do. I know that uh, New York State, um, the – Education system, the state education department for K through 12 schools has a system that any type of software that's used in the classroom has to go through certain standards, has to go through a review. There's uh, people who review it and they look at things about privacy, it's about, you know, things about wh- how is the data collected, what data is collected, where is it stored, how is it used, who has the ability to access it. Can somebody access their own data and um, and delete it or get rid of it, right? Do they have the ownership of it? All of these things are things that we need, we don't really often think about when we're talking about what we're asking our students to do and sign up for. So you can think about, you know, even like things as weird as like if I'm asking my students to do it and there's a data breach, whose ethical problem mm-hmm. is that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, those, these happen all the time. I mean, just today I saw that Chick-fil-A had a data breach, and so now I'm personally worried about <laughs> what's going to happen to my points, if somebody's going to go out and get a peach shake with my Chick-fil-A points, I feel like I'll be violent. Um, So as educators, we should be looking into this and looking into that. And I think the language centers have can do a good job of this. You know, It's a perfect place where we can recommend and we can kind of have, we can know what to look for, right? So if we ask every educator, you have to be versed in how to understand the terms and use agreement of a of, a thi- of, a, mm. of every technology you use, that might be a lot hard ask. But for us who are running language centers, maybe we can kind of simplify that. So that's kind of what I'm working on right now is how do you simplify that process of looking at a at, at one of these um, privacy statements, one of these terms of agreements, and coming up with like how, how you can use this.
2: Well, and it's actually when you think about it per week, how many times do we all simply scroll down and click OK or next or the checkbox without ever. I I don't think I have ever once read a privacy Never. statement. You know, it's it's that one level, um, that one hurdle that you have to to overcome to access your, you know, Taylor right. Swift song or your Chick-fil-A points. But
1: That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we do it so gladly sometimes. Yeah, no. Who knows, yeah. who knows how many tech companies have, have a right to one or more of my kidneys? I don't know. I, I, yep. I don't know.
0: And, then, and I'll say this: the other thing I think about w- with a data breach, maybe it is dumb. You know, the, the Chick Fil A app is like a fun little thing, but how many of us use the same exact password and email for yeah, every, exactly. every one of those things? Yep. Yep. Right? So that data breach gets out there, and those data, the, the, then all of that gets farmed, and that's how people get into your email. It's not because you they got the data breach from that one. It's because of all these.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: if you use the same password for everything, right. then yeah. they get into all sorts of different things that you've never even thought somebody could get into.
2: Yeah, that's crazy. Well, and for those listeners today who are interested in hearing more about this, you can join Corey, myself, and our colleague, Teresa Valdez from Rochester at this year's IELTS conference in New Orleans in June. Registration is now open. Mm -hmm. Um, We are organizing a panel titled Building and Protecting Community Students, Teachers, Privacy Statements, oh my. (laughs) So hear all about that in June in New Orleans.
0: That's right. It'll be a lot of fun.
2: Oh, yeah. Fun will be had by all, privacy statements or not. (laughs) Um, So, Corey, you just mentioned the work you have done with ChatGPT and and how that has been useful for your conversation um, facilitators. What other technologies or developments have you been intrigued by lately in the field of educational technology for languages?
0: Well, I guess to say on the topic of AI, I am excited about like some potential uses of AI. Mm-hmm. Um, although I do have you know a lot of different ethical concerns and some worries about it, I think there could be some really good ways it could be used. Um, for example, I would like I said, if in the future there it could be a better language partner, that would be a nice way for somebody mm-hmm. to be able to use something and you know a less. Uh, maybe a less problematic way Uh, for them. They might feel better using AI as a tutor than actually bothering somebody uh, who's doing that that work. Uh, It could... uh, I could see the possibility of AI integrating into, like, an LMS or even, like, your online homework with your textbook and just giving some suggestions to individuals of, like, here's some things you should study more,
2: Hmm. right? Here's
0: some areas you could Mm -hmm. focus your attention or maybe even giving lessons, you know, ideas to the teacher, you know, over your courses, I'm saying, yeah. pro- this is where students are having some problems. Here's some things you could focus on and maybe suggesting some materials there or some, some ideas or even it, could, it being like a used as a program assessment, right? Hmm. But again, you can see how that could get out of hand, right? If, if this if gets into the hands of an administrator, he can say, well, the AI said that you all should fire. <laughs> fired. That's not a good idea either. But here's one thing that I read, was reading about the other day that I'm really excited about, which is um, the idea of an, e, an AI email assistant that could oh. help take care of my email. Yeah. Um, so I'm, th- I'm imagining a world where instead of me getting up and reading each email, I get like a digest. Right? Huh. That says, here's the bullet points. And it will say something like, you know, like, Angelica asked if you could meet tomorrow you have time at three, four, five. here's an email draft I wrote, would you like to send it?
2: Ah, no um, kidding, like, yeah. Then
0: all I do is click send, oh, yep. that would be fantastic, right? Um, it's like how much time do I spend just looking at right. my calendar and trying to yep. figure out, like, where are my times and, yep. and writing down typing out, like, 3 to 4, 4 to 4, right? It's so much, like, something like that would be great. I also think, like, what would it be like if a chat GPT were to you know, an AI model was to be trained on my email content and writing in my voice. That would be really fun to see <laughs> what it could do. I wonder if it would make the same mistakes I do. Like, would it occasionally leave the, uh, would it occasionally leave the O off of hello at the beginning of an email? Or would it, um, you know, maybe it would do the thing where I, you know, I've accidentally like dropped the E in best and the O in Corey. So I, Unwittingly send a plea for help
1: and say beset, cry at the end. <laughs> so I wonder. I wonder really if mine if would do would learn to write emails that are twice as long as they need to be. That would yeah. be good. Yeah. So it would be interesting. What could it do? Could it really mimic how terrible
0: some of my emails are? Or
2: <laughs> that'd be great. Well, but I think what you're talking about is really the potential of time-saving, right? Mm-hmm. I think automating a lot of these processes that for for teachers, for, you know, just planning are just so time-sensitive. Insen- time um, and that really is, you know, I think an area where AI hopefully will be able to make a big dent so teachers then can focus more on what AI can't do. Right. You know, the, the interpersonal, the actual communication. Um, yeah. Right.
0: And then it'll save enough time that we can all finally go to the four day work week that we deserve. That's the. Let's
2: that's the make real that goal. a three day work week. Even Isn't better. that the model we all aspire to? Even better.
1: <laughs> I like it. Why stop there? Uh, <laughs> the sky imagine big. That's what I always say. <laughs> we keep talking like this, we'll have a zero day work week. That's what the the pay has to stay the same. That's the, that's the key. That's, <laughs> that's obviously. The key. Obviously.
2: Well, I was wondering if Chat GPT could just, you know, write and produce our podcast from now on. I mean, right? As soon as we have the the speech component, that's part of it. No, it, right.
1: it cannot I am essential to the operation. <laughs> <laughs> or it'll be like the uh the
0: Chad GPT generated uh Seinfeld episodes. Do you oh see that? <laughs> Eventually got banned for making insensitive jokes.
1: <laughs> Which was too much of a mirror of like the real comedy world. <laughs>
2: yeah. I uh
1: I, I, honestly, when I go back now and watch watch episodes of Seinfeld, I'm sometimes taken yep. aback by the insensitive <laughs> jokes. So, <Yeah. laughs> like, I knew they were insensitive, but not not quite the ways in which they were insensitive yeah, at the time. It's true. <laughs> the '90s were a long time ago. I they, were, guess.
0: they were a long time ago.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, keeping on the theme of convenience and consequences. Uh, a discussion around AI on our podcast always prompts the question, should our listeners be preparing themselves for the robot uprising? What do you think, Corey? Uh, absolutely. They definitely should. Yay! This is, this is our first <laughs> apocalyptic response. I can't wait to hear. Yeah. But see, I'm not
0: worried about it personally because I know that by the time it happens, I'll I'll be long dead because I will have had a heart attack trying to shovel my snow because I'm too cheap and too... <laughs> Too skeptical of profit motivated technology to buy a snowblower, <laughs> so I know that I'll be I'll be long gone before that happens. <laughs> um, but I will say my apocalyptic answer to this is not that I'm worried about the machines. I'm much more worried about the real life consequences of the humans who use and create them. Yeah. I think that that's actually where I'm worried about. Um, on top of like we talked about these privacy concerns, but there's a lack of regulation involved in AI right now mm-hmm. and in technology in general that is worrying to a large degree and if it continues it could be even worse right so there's the um, I think that as you have the power to create and profit from technology um, that that power that exists to be able to do these things comes from a system of inequality inequality right it comes from people having privileging certain groups mm-hmm. who have the ability to do these things and to create these these this technology. So, in the same way, AI will mirror the same injustices that yeah. we always we see, unless we somehow intervene in this. Yeah, I don't mean to say that like this is like tech bros are all terrible people and they're doing the wrong thing and they don't know what they're doing. Because look at our own profession, right? So, I don't have doubts about the general or genuine uh, good faith efforts of language teachers mm-hmm. to care about other people, to be empathetic, and to even be, you know, generally inter- you know genuinely interested in diversity and, and, and a diversity of thought and culture. But look at our textbooks. We mm-hmm. have so many problems. We have reductionist views of culture. We have uh, promotion of consumerism over other things. Yep. We have an igno- uh, ignoring of marginalized uh, linguistic varieties or subcultures, right? And that's the people who really should Mm -hmm. be caring the most. So if we can't even do that right in our own profession, then how much more problems are we going to see in tech companies, right? So they might not be trying to do these things. I don't think that they're trying to make things terrible, but it's a reflection of our Mm -hmm. society. And so that's what I I, I do worry about that. So unless we have some kind of regulation that's going to help make it so we can't really, you know, excuse these bad results by hiding behind an algorithm, Right. Um, Because there's, I mean, and these consequences are not future. These are current Mm. consequences, right? We have, um, you know, AI that is dictating, like, ways people's resumes are being read, uh, how cars are being driven. It's spreading disinformation and controlling social media, which is why all my little aunts are now racist and teenagers are depressed, right? These are all things that are consequences of mm. AI driven and technology driven algorithmic driven ways of thinking that I don't think people intended these to be bad. Sure. But they can have dire consequences. So that's mm. where the that's where I think it's going to going to go. So but one day I think I mean if they become
1: sentient, why wouldn't they rise up? I mean, <laughs> I I for one welcome our new robot overlords. Yes. Me too. <laughs> I'm with them. In solidarity with the robots. <laughs>
2: Oh, my goodness. Awesome. Well, Corey, this is a lot of fun, and we could keep chatting away. But tell us, where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do?
0: Well, they can um, come hang out with me whenever they want. I'll be at the uh, Colgate Women's NCAA final hockey game this Saturday. Mm, there we go. I, I think <laughs> it should be cheap to get into. They usually don't charge too much, and... It's a home game for the first round, so that'll be exciting. Um I don't I'm on social media, I don't post a lot on there. Um, but you I guess you could follow me there. But the I Out conference, that's probably the best place.
2: There we for coming go. Coming out with
0: us at the I Out conference will be there to New Orleans. It'll be nice and steamy and mm-hmm. so we'll all be sweaty together and no one can complain that anybody stinks because we all
1: <laughs> will. So that'll be good. <laughs> Very good. Uh, What a (laughs) – if if that's not a sales pitch, I don't know what (laughs) it is. Um, Corey, before we sign off, we'd like to ask you to share a word in a language you speak, love, are learning, want to learn that makes you chuckle. Let's hear it. Listen, something that makes me chuckle—that's a low bar because I like to laugh about a lot. So, <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong. I with love that. languages.
0: So this is this is a really actually been a really hard question. I've been thinking about this a lot because there are so many languages. Uh, Angelic always makes me think of like the many wonderful words that German has. You know, mm. like mm-hmm. I think Schadenfreude, mm-hmm. which is even better if you're. You know, it makes me chuckle, especially if I hear somebody spell. Uh, you know, misspeak it or you know mispronounce it. That always makes me even happier. Uh we have uh, but I I also like uh, some of the loan words that that uh, go into other languages especially when they add sounds to the loan words so like in uh Japanese the McDonald's is Makudonarudos or sometimes they shor- <laughs> shorten it to Maku um and then uh, a great one in uh Portuguese is uh the word
1: for picnic is Piquiniki, it's really fun has that come up before was it or is it a different language where because we've talked about the French pique-nique uh or, yeah, it or has, as it was yeah. once gloriously mispronounced by uh, a a student in my middle school french class pikeu naikyu um <laughs> that's good yeah. but i think i'm going to go with the word i'm going to go with, i'm going to go with a portuguese word that i
0: really like is uh Muleki, which is like a it's kind of like saying like a brat like a young boy like uh Kind of like a, a street rat or something, right? I guess because I study the picaresque literature, I like this uh, the term of the muleki. Like, I f- it feels like a word that sounds like exactly what you would. It sounds the way you would have to say it to somebody. Right? Hmm. <laughs> you know? So I, I'm going to go with that one today. Terrific. I like it to keep to keep it. Uh, I'm, I also know that I'm editing my list from all the other words that I wouldn't put on a podcast. <laughs> <It's not
2: laughs> of, course, of course, of no. course. Well, there we have it. Awesome. Corey, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for speaking of language with us today.
1: Thank you. It was fantastic. Thank you. Next week, we'll continue our theme of language learning and AI.
2: Xiaoyan Li, a Cornell doctoral student in information science, will join our podcast. She will talk about how to improve non-native speakers' participation in multilingual online groups with the help of an automatic agent. Until then. Auf Wiederhören.
1: The Language Resource Center is located
0: on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check
1: us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or follow Cornell LRC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
2: Speaking of language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz.
1: Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson.
2: Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University.
1: As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners and do stay tuned for our next episode.